This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Does it suck right now? Sure. I, I, I feel you. Uh, no, nobody in this locker room wants to lose football games, but... At the same time, the I've said it before, the the, the path is crystal clear on, on where this organization needs to go and the and the things that we need to address as coaches, players, uh, all the way top down. It's it's very very clear. Welcome to Flight Deck, an inside look at the New York Jets. This is Rich Samini. I cover the Jets for ESPN. Robert Sala is right. It does suck right now if you're a Jets fan. Your team is three and ten. And you're out of the playoffs for the 11th straight year, the longest active drought in the NFL. Folks, that's one of the longest in professional sports. The longest in the four major sports are the Seattle Mariners, 20 years. Next, the Sacramento Kings at 15, followed by the Jets at 11. I'm sorry. I wish I could start out with a rosier outlook, but I'm keeping it real. But here's something positive. In this second segment, we will speak to former Jets quarterback Ken O'Brien, The first time we've had him on flight deck, and I'm really looking forward to that. I'll try to get Kenny to reminisce about some of the good times, just so you know we could change it up a little bit. For now, we got to dive back into the swamp that is the Jets season. All you can do right now, folks, is suck it up for the next four weeks and look forward to the offseason, because there'll be a lot to look forward in the offseason. But right now, it's not going to get any better for these next four. They're playing with an expansion-level defense, and the offense which actually had been showing flashes of promise in recent weeks, is down its top three skill players, Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, and Michael Carter. They went up against a good uh, Saints defense on Sunday, and you saw what happened. It was ugly. Zach Wilson completed only 45% of his passes, the second lowest mark in the league this season with a minimum of 40 attempts. The lowest, wait for it, wait for it, Sam Darnold with Carolina. You're absolutely crazy if you expected Wilson to go out there and light up the Saints. Throwing to who? Denzel Mims? He doesn't even know how to line up properly, and yes, he deserved that benching. All that talk about accountability, and he didn't even want to show up on Sunday or Monday to talk to the media. I think that's wrong. Come on, Denzel. You got a man up there. Anyway, I digress. The story here is Wilson, very difficult spot to be in, but he's got to be able to hit the open throws. I mean, he didn't get a lot of them. But you have to make it count when the opportunity comes up. Let's go to the next-gen stats to illustrate my point. Against the Saints, he completed only 11 of 18 passes to receivers that were open. And by open, I mean separation of at least three yards between receiver and defender. And that, of course, is based on the data we get from our tracking devices. So that is a 61% completion percentage, which is the worst in the NFL this week. The average, by the way, is 85%. If you're an NFL quarterback, you should be completing at least 85% of your passes to open receivers. Wilson had a case of the yips, which he's had this season. This wasn't just a one-game hiccup. So what does it tell us? I think his mechanics are off. I think it's in his head. 
and it's affecting his mechanics. And during the pre-draft process, everyone was raving about his mechanics, how pristine they were. Quarterbacks shouldn't have to think when they're throwing a bubble screen or a five-yard pass. It should be instinctive, and Wilson isn't that play, isn't playing that way right now. Last year at BYU, he completed 77% of his passes in the 1-10 to yard range, which was fourth among Power 5 quarterbacks in the country. In the country. Now he's at 58%, which is worse than the NFL, nearly a 20-point drop. Did he forget how to throw short passes? Of course not. I'm telling you, I think it's in his head. He's thinking about it too much. And it's on the coaching staff to get him right. He's got his personal quarterback coach with him, John Beck, so there's no excuses. Wilson said he doesn't want to beat this to sound as an excuse, but he said after the game that he thinks he's throwing different routes than he did in college. Well, sorry, that does sound like a little bit of an excuse. Just hit the open receiver. Now, clearly, clearly he didn't get much help early in the game. I mean, come on. Three drops by Ty Johnson. I will say this. At least he had the guts to face the music after the game, unlike Mims. So that really hurt Wilson's ability to get off to a positive start. And that's big for a rookie quarterback, you know, but he should be mentally tough enough to overcome that. If he's that fragile, oh boy, the Jets have a big problem. Now, I will say this for Wilson, and this is important. We have to balance out the story here. His decision-making has improved in recent weeks. Sunday was his first no-interception complete game. Since returning from his knee injury, he's had only two picks in 104 passes. Before the injury, it was nine picks in 181 passes. So he's gone from one every 20 passes with an interception to one every 52. That's a pretty good improvement. That's something that should be noted. So it's unfair to say he's a bust and he's regressing in all areas. Look, he's got a lot of stuff he needs to improve on, mainly hitting those layup passes. We'll see what happens over the last four. It's going to be tough starting Sunday against an improved Miami defense. Salah says he has a clear vision on how to fix this team in the offseason. Well, nothing happens unless Wilson becomes what the Jets expect him to be. It won't happen this year. Hey, it might not even happen next year. Based on the last 20 years in the NFL, rookie quarterbacks with his stats as rookies usually don't get much better. They usually hang around the bottom. There are always exceptions, of course, and you better hope Zach Wilson is one of them. I'd like to welcome in our guest this week. He was drafted in 1983 in the first round, the famed uh, great quarterback class of 83. He played from the Jets from 1983 to 1992, and he is second on the all-time passing list with more than 24,000 passing yards. The, the name above him on that list is some guy named Namath. So I'd like to welcome in uh, an old friend, <laughs> Ken O'Brien. Ken, how are you? Thanks for being with us. Hey, Rich, thanks very much for having me. I hope you're having a great afternoon. And uh, I'm just thinking, when you said 1983, that's it sounds like I'm as old as Ben Franklin. It sounds like 1776 <laughs> to me now. So, uh, wow. That yeah, was a long time a ago, but uh, time flies by, and uh, what a great experience. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, it does fly by. And of course uh, you had a great career with the Jets just to be second on the passing list, you know, of all the quarterbacks that have come through the Jets. And we know there've been many to be second on the list next to a guy like Joe Namath, who I know you kind of looked up to. And I think you might've met him when you were a kid or something like that, when you were out at the Jets facility as a youngster, what's it like just to be 
kind of linked in that fashion. Well, uh, you know, thanks for us. Thanks for the nice words. Uh, and it's true. Uh, Joe was my, uh, one of my heroes growing up and little did he know it, but, uh, <laughs> my mom and dad were, uh, met, my dad was an orthopedic surgeon. My mom was a nurse in, uh, Bay Ridge over at Kings County hospital. Um, all my uncles that were in New York city on my mom's side were New York city PD. Um, <clears throat> my dad's brother, his family still lives there. So we're the only ones outside of New York. And when we would, my mom and dad would, you know, in those days, you didn't go very often, but when he brought six kids back there, the uncles who were uh, single would be in charge of us. So they found the best thing to do was take us out to, uh, we were always running around with some sort of sports and they would take us over to meet. We met all the amazing Mets, uh, you know, when those guys were there, Tom Seaver, Nolan Ryan and uh, Holtzman and it uh, goes on and on and on. It was, it was an amazing uh, time. And of course they took me out to Long Island to Hofstra and we happened of all things to be sitting on uh, uh, Joe Namath's car when he came after practice. And I was just a little kid and he was really nice and went out of his way, as you can imagine, be a nice guy. And it stuck with me ever since. And I think, uh, you know, you learn from experience. And if you see somebody who's as giving and charismatic as that, it's a, a great lesson for me at a young age, somebody to follow and look up to. I'm, I'm guessing it was probably a pretty nice car, too, that you were leaning against. Convertible, a convertible Cadillac, I'll never forget. It didn't have the steer horns on it, but everything else it had. So it looked like he was going in style in those days. Well, you know, Joe, he's he's a pretty, pretty cool then. He's still pretty cool. He's <laughs> still pretty cool now. He is. He is. He's a great guy. And uh, I've always enjoyed our friendship. And um, I, I look forward to – we don't get a chance to see each other as often as I would like. But whenever we do run into each other – it's like, uh, you know, old friends uh, and you pick up right where you left off. So it's a it's a great relationship. He's a great friend. And uh, I'm just lucky to have that as one of the experiences that, uh, that came out of being back there. Well, that's great. I want to I want to talk a little bit about the current Jets and uh, we'll get into some uh, some good memories of yours. You know, when we were playing with the Jets. But one thing that jumped out at me and I, I'm curious to get your response on this, because. You know, the Jets are starting a rookie now, Zach Wilson. And I know you were at the Philly game a, a week and a half ago. You were right. at MetLife to watch that. And, and Zach played pretty well in that game. But he got thrown in there right from the beginning. You know, day one, he was the starter. When you came into the league, you pretty much sat on the bench for about a year and a half. And you started the last five games of your second year. So you had kind of a different introduction to the NFL. And I'm wondering, do you think that benefited you? And when you look at Zach's situation, you know, how tough is that to be thrown right in? Yeah, Rich, it's good. It's good. You know, I think the times have changed so much um, between then and now, you know, with all the year round quarterback coaching uh, and all these mentors that they have that they've experienced a lot more. And uh, I think the patience is worn thin. Uh, you know, when I came in, the Jets were a really good team. They were, uh, they were winning. Uh, they had a great solid defense. Uh, Richard was a really good quarterback is also Todd, Richard Todd is, who's also a great friend. And uh, it gave me an opportunity to sit back and kind of watch him play and take it all in. Um, it was fun. It's no fun to, to not play. But uh, it was fun to experience it and it was fun to watch. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of different ways to learn. And I, I think some guys can learn by uh, watching it on the on the film, up on the board in a video or on their computer screen and like a textbook and then they can apply it. Some guys need to uh, be out there and do it themselves. And that's how they learn best. And I was able to to learn watching and certainly when you're out there playing it's the best way to learn but I try to take advantage of all that so that when I when I was ready to go uh 
I wasn't uh, green behind the ears and I could contribute. So I, I think it's different with, with nowadays. And uh, certainly with the Jets, they didn't have a veteran quarterback uh, before Zach came in there and they drafted him. You know, the uh, if you're going to get drafted high in the in the top few picks of the draft, you're going to come in and play. That's that's where we are now. Um, yeah. And a lot of the guys, if I knew we were going to talk today, so I was kind of I was kind of trying to get some thoughts in order, which is difficult for me. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I'm there's a lot of young quarterbacks playing. Um, yeah, they had a great. Uh, you know, they really had a great. Um, uh, article today or uh, a stab was on the kid at San Diego. And I think he's a really good player, Herbert. Um, yeah, he's Justin had Herbert, touchdowns yeah. his first two years, and he's done really well. Now he has a he has some good parts around him that I don't think um, the Jets are quite right there yet. Mm -hmm. But I, I think from watching Zach move around, I think he's a I think he's physically talented. He has a live arm. Um, you know, you don't get there unless you have a good arm. So, yeah. so but you got to be able to you know take everything else in, not force things, and and be a team leader at the same time. Uh, it, the world's changed. Uh, you know, it, it's not running, uh, you know, on first down and and then a little play action and then pass if you have to on third down. Now it's they're throwing the ball all over the field and they're really circling like, okay, here's the guys on on the team and uh, our slot receiver and you circle. How do we get him the ball? Here's our running back. How do we? Here's our tight end. How do we get him the ball? Here's our wide receiver. How are we going to go for big plays? And oh. and they want to take advantage of that. So. Um, I, I think he seems to do well. And it's another interesting thing that I was looking at is I know when we were back there in, the, in New York, we always did really well. For some reason, we always did really well in the two minute drill. Mm -hmm. And it could have been, you know, you're going off what the coaches have taught you, but we had a lot of confidence in each other on the mm -hmm. field. And you're just running and you're going over plays that, that, you know, you know what to expect. And uh, you know, if we had it again, I'd go in two minute drill, all game, every game, because oh. I, I thought we were at such an advantage. And I think our, I think our uh, success in those situations showed, but uh, I think he'd be really good in something like that where, Hey, let's go, let's go, let's go. Boom, boom, boom. Let's go. Let's go get the defense a little bit tired, take advantage of it. He moves around real well and find ways to get him some uh, easy completions. He started the game in Philly. That first quarter was awesome. It was bad. Yeah. He played great. Yeah. And then it just kind of, you know, it, it for whatever reason, it, it fell apart, and they they couldn't stop. They couldn't get the Eagles off the field, and uh, it just didn't go their way. But I think they're going the right direction. I like the coach. I think the coach. I don't know him um, mm -hmm. at all, but I just like his demeanor. He he seems to, you know, have a plan, and uh, you have to be a leader up top. And he seems like he has that ability. So uh, I think it's all going to be good. It's going to take a little bit of time to get some pieces around them, but they have a, a couple of good draft options from what I'm hearing. And uh, hopefully yeah. they'll take advantage of those and, uh, you know, bring in a Wesley, bring in an owl and uh, make it a lot easier for Zach. They should be so lucky to get those kind of guys. Uh, those were, those were some good players that you had around you. I want to ask you a technical quarterback question because Zach, he's kind of going through a little phase right now where he's struggling to complete the shorter throws, you know, the so-called, you know, the gimmies, you know, the five yarders uh, on Sunday against, uh, against New Orleans, he bounced a couple of easy throws. Now, when you're coming up as a quarterback, I don't know. I don't know if you encountered this as a rookie, are there certain, did, did you have problems with that early on in your career? And maybe you can relate to it. Maybe it's a mechanical thing. You know, it just seems yeah, a little you know, weird. I, that that, got... That's strange. He's too good. He's too good to have that be a problem. So I, yeah. I would think there's probably something in between the ears that mm -hmm. uh, it's just not in sync. And he's maybe forcing things a little bit too much and trying to be perfect. You got to, you know, the coaches have to 
hey, go out and play. Go out and play, and we're all going to make mistakes, but you're really good, and you're going to get the ball where you have to go. We believe in you, and let's go do it. And then he's got to be able to take that, seize upon that, and go out and do it. So, um, you know, it's he's he's not a dummy. He knows that, you know, people are out there uh, – you know, they want to see, they want to see uh, success right away. So I'm sure there's a pressure thing that he's feeling, but let's find a way to, to get him going. Let's find a way to make some, some big plays. And then when he has those opportunities, you know, let's not rush it. Let's, let's be accurate with the ball. Let's get it right there uh, where we want, where we want it to go so we can take advantage of it. And uh, in that Eagle game, you know, he was doing really well and had a ball that just kind of got away on the interception late in the game. You know, they still had a chance, but yeah. it just, it, to me, it looked like it just kind of didn't come out right where he wanted it. And they were on the same page with the receiver and mm -hmm. those things happen. So you just got to learn from them and don't let them happen again. You brought up an interesting point, Ken, just about the, you know, the pressure and the scrutiny the the guys who come in, through the draft now face so much more scrutiny than you did. I mean, the draft is a major event now it's TV, <laughs> it's showtime, you know, they're going to Vegas this year. They're going to have God knows what it, it'll be extravagant. When you were drafted, I don't know if people knew the draft was during the week. It wasn't even on the weekend. It was, it was in the morning when you were drafted, correct? And you were on, you got drafted at a Cal Davis, you know, it was not a football factory, a smaller school. What was that like? What was draft day like for you? You were obviously not, you know, walking up and hugging the commissioner like they do now. Where were you? And, well, and just yeah, what that, do you recall about the day you got drafted? Well, first, that was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, that was before cell phones, right? And uh, yeah, and TV. I mean, you had to have some special kind of, you know, one of those satellite TVs to get anything that was back there. Uh, so I was I was in school. I had, a, I had some tests that morning. And I got a call at seven o'clock in the morning from the Jets at the house. Thank God my roommate answered the phone because the odds of that happening in itself is uh, is is like a lottery pick because usually that phone would ring forever and everybody would be sleeping until the next day. But got on the phone and uh, Joe uh, Walton was there and uh, able to talk to him and uh, you know then just took off. I said, okay, great, I got to go. Thanks very much, and I guess I'll see you in a, whenever I see you. I got to go take this test and get going with school. So uh, it was, it was totally a different world back then. Uh, I don't know that it, it wasn't uh, better in a lot of ways, but there's so much access now, as you know, uh, yeah. you know with podcasts and with and the, the whole internet. I mean, everything oh. is filmed. Everything is, is up for scrutiny too. You know, you, yeah. you can kind of do what you want with it and uh, you gotta be able to put that out of your mind and, and just for Zach and, and the team just concentrate on, Hey, I'm really good. Uh, I know how to get there. This is what I have to do. So let's just start doing it. And, and let's all believe in it. I think everybody there seems to have each other's back. And, uh, and I think he's got the talent to do what he expects of himself. That, that it's a good thing. Your roommate didn't oversleep. It could have changed the course of jets history. You know, it's, uh... yeah. Yeah, well, with my roommates, yeah, it's lucky with, with those guys. Now, uh, one of them was leading, uh, it's amazing that they've all been successful. One was big in the financial world. Uh, the other one was uh, leading the uh, you know, military forces across the uh, across the country and all the uh, the big epic uh, you know desert storm type things that we're doing. Wow. So they were they were serious about school, and uh, it was good to have them as roommates because it kind of brought me back down to earth a little bit. They also played football with me, and uh, you know it was uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, they they enjoyed that whole process of being scouted because scouts would come every day and you know when they would come they they couldn't give me anything 
but they would bring all the gear, you know, they bring t-shirts and hats and you name it, uh, key rings, whatever. And these guys would go out and run patterns for me. And some of them never even played football, but they would go out there and stay on the field and they'd come away with a wheelbarrow full of stuff. And I would have nothing. I'm like, what is this? You guys got, you guys are all decked out in jets gear and Raider gear and Ram, you know, whatever it might be. And uh, they had a great time doing it. So they, they were excited about it. And, uh, and they got a lot of jet gear for, uh, for taking care of me that final year sure you've seen the video i mean at the draft when pete rosell announced your name and all the jet fans at the at the draft in new york were shocked like you know <laughs> ken o'brien from cal davis what was your reaction were you surprised that the jets took you were you expecting to be a first round pick you know um i, I kind of i'm the way I, I just never really worry about things I can't control that much. I, I worry about everything, but I don't worry about myself very much. So I knew from my college coach who uh, was in the car. He's a great coach. Jim Soker's in the, in the college. He's in the hall of fame for coaching. And uh, he had told me that a bunch of, a few teams had called around and were interested in using the first round pick. Now, you know, like I told me, yeah, that's easy to say, coach, I'll see you tomorrow. And uh, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know who, uh, I don't know which ones they were, but he had, he had some pretty good contacts from his years, uh, you know, for coaching for 40 years. So he had an idea that was, and I just said, yeah, okay, great. That's, that'll be awesome. Uh, you know, if I get picked and I, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to explain. It's, uh, you get a chance to play a game and compete and do something. You have fun there. It's never work. It's just mm -hmm. always, you look forward to going to it. You can't wait to go on and, and in football is different than, you know, boxing or tennis or golf, where it's an individual sport, it's right. a camaraderie and it's everybody in the locker room. And, uh, you know, it's just, I mean, how many years ago, it's 30, 20 to 30 years ago when I was back there and we saw, God, we saw so many guys last week at the game and it's been that long since I saw them, you know, I saw, Oh, from Buttle to, uh, uh, it goes Rocky Cleaver to Eric McMillan to Blair Thomas to Eric uh, Dennis Blygen. Uh, you know, it goes on and Mickey Schuler, and it's like he never left. So there's a bond there that's really special. And, you know, I wish we could talk the Jets into having everybody back for one weekend and maybe doing something good for, you know, for the public and the Jet fans while we're back there and have it just a great old time because uh, those guys are all nuts and they're going crazy. So they better do it sooner than later. Yeah. Well, you know, this week and, you know, the Jets play Miami this week and for as long as they play football, uh, the Jets in Miami, people will always think about the great game you and Marino had in 1996, 1986, uh, 51 to 45 overtime. You threw for 479 and four touchdowns. And of course, the classic touchdown to Wesley, 43 yarder in overtime to win it, a walk off win. The teams combined for over a thousand yards that day. And that was in an era where, you know, it's not like today where guys are putting up amazing offensive numbers. It was a little different back then. When you think back at that game, I mean, wow, what a day. Was that, was that one of the pinnacle moments of your career when you look back at that day? Yeah, I think it's one of the ones that, you know, you think back and you look at, I, I know it's still to this day, it always pisses Danny off that, that we got the better of him most of the time for some reason. Uh, <laughs> he, he has a hard time letting go of it, but uh, that day, especially. And uh I think on those days, really, that, uh, you know, the, uh, the Joe Coach Walton's uh, attitude switched saying, OK, listen, the, the Dolphins are going to throw the ball a lot and they're going to score. So we have to go out and 
do a little more than we would normally do. You know, we don't need to be 50, 50 and balanced. Let's just go and make big plays. And uh, uh, he would always get excited and look forward to, to calling the game against the dolphins. And uh, I wish we had, had taken that more often, but when you have Freeman as a running back and, and everybody else, then you got to get them the ball as well. So uh, it, it's a lot of fun. And I think the guys looked up to it. It should be, it's a game the jets can win. Um, you know, every game's a game they can win. It's just another stepping stone for them this weekend. So uh, yeah. I hope they put on a, a good show. They get better and they win. I mean, there's nothing like winning a football game. Doesn't matter if you're have one win, two wins, ten wins. It's a win's a win, and uh, and that's what you have to learn how to do. Ken, what was the maybe it was that game? What, like, what was your career highlight? What was it, what was your best win in your career? Oh boy. Um, I mean, you had some big wins and, uh, I don't, you know, uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, Rich, I don't really know. I, I would guess. I would what guess was like it, a career, career highlight? Was it that day? I mean, that day you were just in the zone. I, I would imagine it's just one of those days. It might've been the day that we had to win uh, at the end of the year, we had to win to get in the playoffs and we played Miami actually down there. And, uh, we came back and meet them, uh, beat them, um, at the end of the game, uh, Rob Moore caught a big touchdown. And then, uh, yeah, uh, you know, that was a big, anytime you get in the playoffs, it's just a different feeling and, and take advantage of it. Uh, we were, you know, the team was going through some transition at the time. I think, uh, Coslett was coaching there. So right. it was kinda, there were a lot of moving parts, but, uh, it was a good win for the organization for sure. And, uh, I, I think surprised, uh, some of those guys that were there that we were doing as well as we were doing. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a good, it was a good way to go out. It was a good way to, uh, to, to win the game, to get, to get to where we had to go. And, uh, and for all the guys in the team, I, I think it was a big moment for us, but there, yeah. there are so many throwing the ball to Al and, and, you know, Freeman, giving Freeman the ball and what we had to do. And, uh, there, there's so many different things that, uh, just the, the banner back and forth on the sideline with, uh, Jim Sweeney and Dan Alexander, and it goes on and on and on and on. And, uh, and all the times with Joe Klecko, uh, uh, Joe's a great guy and a friend. And shame he's not in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he should be. He was. He yeah. was. I think if you ask anybody who played against him, I mean, we were in the Pro Bowl one year, and uh, the the line who was I think the, the fellows in the Hall of Fame, very nice guy for the. He was a center from Alabama at Miami. I think it was oh, Dwight, uh, Dwight Stevenson. Dwight Stevenson, really good player and a really nice guy. And he came up and found me and sat down on the bus. I had never met him. He said, Hey, Kenny, tell me about Joe Klecko. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean about Cleck? I go, he's the greatest guy. He's a good friend of mine. He goes, what's he like? I said, he's the strongest man I've ever been around in my life. He is naturally, he can do things freakishly. He said, he, he goes, I guess he'd pick me up, literally pick me up by my shoulder pads. He goes, I'm 300 pounds. And he would throw me into the ball carrier. It was running and I'd make the tackle on. He goes, I've never been around a guy like that before. I wow. said, yeah, he's, he's quite a character. He, and as strong as he is, he's just a character too. So you, you'd really like him. So I then introduced them later on and they became, you know, good friends at that point in time. So it's neat when those things come together and it's neat to see that, uh, that other people, his opponents had, had such a high regard for him. Yeah. You, you played with some really good players. I mean, Al Toon to me, uh, I mean, boy, I mean, it, you know, I mean, obviously Jerry Rice is is obviously the, probably the greatest receiver ever. But for a couple of years there, him and Al were like neck and neck to see who was better because Al's stats in '85 and '86 were were right up there with Jerry Rice's. Al was just so gifted. 
Al's a freak. Al's a, a, a freak. Is, is, I mean, athletically, but he's even better as a person. Uh, he's just a, a special guy who's who's remained a good friend over all the years um, that we play. We talk. Uh, uh, unfortunately, he's had some family things that went on in the last year, so he's he's just got a great mindset. Uh, he and Jane and, and how they approach things, and uh, I'm honored to call him a friend, and uh, I love him, and and I think about him often. But as far as a player, uh, there weren't any any better. He was really good, and to be able to pair with Wesley because Wesley had that elite speed that nobody else had. We should have used it more often because he he could. One thing Wesley could do was run. He could run, oh. run, 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 and nobody yeah. could stay with him. So uh, it was it was just a lot of fun. I, I, those two guys together, and then you know, and then having Mickey Schuler, who I ran into at the game the other day. Uh, he's a kook, and that was fun. And uh, you know, it, it's we were. I was lucky to to be around some really good people, and I cherish all the moments of it, and uh, look forward to seeing the, those guys whenever we have an opportunity. What about some uh, regrets from your career, Ken? Anything you, you wish you had done or accomplished that didn't happen? Oh, I think, I, I think you know, um, regrets is a, I, I mean, I, I wish we would have won a Super Bowl. That was the goal every year. Uh, I wish we would have won every game we played. And, and along the way, you make mistakes. Uh, uh, but, you know, you, but you're not trying to. You know, when I look back on the career, I, I can look back proudly and say I always – in my mind, gave it uh, 110% trying to do whatever I could do to help the guys, to help our team win. And mm -hmm. it didn't always work out, but I was doing everything I could do. And I'm proud of that. Uh, I think if I, not a regret, but I think as we look back on, we kind of hit on it earlier, I would have, and it was a different world then, right? The head coach was the head coach. The players were players. Right. And now that line's kind of, well, they kind of, you know, they kind of inter, intermingle a little bit. And I, I think we, we should have better communication uh, of how we wanted to approach things and what we wanted to do on offense. I, I think we would have been better as the two minute drills show when we were doing things that they've taught us yet, let us go out and play. We did pretty well. And uh, we just never got to that point where um, there was that full, full, full trust of, okay, let's go. I, I, you know, Hey, I've taught you everything for 10 or 11 years here. Let's go, let's go do it. And yeah. you'd be pretty successful. Uh, I would just be more vocal in, in that regard. Uh, it, of course, in those days, if you're more vocal, you'd probably get hit in the back of the head in the parking lot. So, yeah. Uh, but it, I, I think that's, I think we would have even been better because of it. And uh, for everybody, for the coaches, for the players, for, for the fans and everybody, if you're, if you approach it that way, and I think teams are doing that now. And that's why you see so much, you know, the offenses are, are prolific every week. When, whenever you watch a game, these guys are doing so well because they know what they're doing and they kind of put the ball in the right people's hands and let them make plays. Well, like the Russell Wilson, uh, you know, let Russ cook is this, you know, in saying in Seattle, maybe we, we should have said to Joe Walton, uh, let Ken cook, you know? Uh, well, well, you know, it, it, I think there's something to be said for when Russell plays his best footballs, when he's just going, you know, he's just yeah. going and it doesn't always look pretty, but there's something to be said for when you're calling a play and you're out there and you have a, you have a picture in your mind, what's going to happen you you can make it happen right you're uh, you're expecting something to happen and, and you know okay if i call this and and they do this it's not there then i got to go right here right away so it, it's a way once you get comfortable with your whole offense it's a way for you to be able to perform at a higher level and uh you know that's what truly that's what uh 
and and Tom Brady's in a different league, obviously, but that's what he does. He knows exactly what's going to happen. He's calling the play. If it, the first thing's not right there, he doesn't waste any time. He's on the number two right now, and let's go. Let's complete the ball and keep going. So uh, he's a great example for people to lead, and I, I think his situation with uh, Bruce Arians there is a great relationship. They, they, they jive pretty well together, and they just like, hey, only thing's important is that we get it done. Yeah. Well, they're getting it done. Tom Brady may win the MVP this year, uh, which would be unbelievable, unbelievable at his yeah, age. Hundred years old. That's crazy. <laughs> he's who knows when he's going to retire. But uh, <laughs> you know, for the Jet fans listening who who never saw Ken play, boy, he you threw a great ball. I mean, I would watch at practice, just being like a young Cub reporter. And you were really the first quarterback I was exposed to covering a professional team. And boy, you just threw the you just threw the heck out of the ball. You had a great arm. Well, thanks. Yeah, that was uh, it's always fun, and um, you know I, I've loved the time with football that I had there. I've loved being able to. I had a couple young guys out here in California that, uh, other than you know, my daughter last night, we were in town, Manhattan Beach, walking around. My youngest was walking around with a jet hat on or beanie on, and she's like, every time I wear something jet, somebody says something to me, Dad. And I tell him, yeah, I'm a Jet fan. Just because the record's not good, they'll be better. I'm not one of those fair weather fans. I'm like, okay, honey, calm down. You're you are the typical Jet fan. Just relax, relax, <laughs> and take it. There, how you're going to do it? But but when they get going, it's uh, it's just it's just so much fun. The whole thing's so much fun to be able to to throw the ball, to get out there and run around and and do things. And I, I think for a young quarterback, that's the first thing you do. You know, you you from high school to college, college to the NFL. If you're lucky, there's how many billions of people in the world and 0.00001%. They all want to be a quarterback. I dreamt every night going to bed when I was a little kid about being an NFL quarterback. And it was just uh, hard work and luck. And a lot of things came together that I was able to, to get there. Uh, but that was always a goal. And I was really fortunate. So I never, I never took it for granted. Um, and throwing the ball is just something, you know, when you get the NFL, how do you fit in? You know, I don't know. I'm, I'm throwing the ball pretty well in college, but shoot, maybe when I get up there, these guys are going to look, look at me and laugh like you're some kind of a hillbilly and you can't do it. So uh, it, 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 you know, first five minutes, it works itself out pretty well. So mm-hmm. I appreciate those kind words. And uh, yeah, I wish I could still throw it like that, but it, it's 61. I don't think I'll be playing much football anymore. Ken, thanks so much. I look forward to uh, catching up with you down the road. Thanks, Rich. Uh, good luck with everything. Have a great holidays. And uh, hopefully we'll see you back there soon. And it's Twitter time, starting off with at Smoke42. What do you think about the Jets getting Jimmy G next year if the Niners are ready to hand the reins over to Trey Lance? That would show Wilson how to run the offense and help establish a winning culture. This team has to start winning at some point. Chris, I don't see that happening because Jimmy G is a starting quarterback in this league. He's proving that this year. I think he will move on from the Niners, but I think he will end up in a starting role next year. I do think the Jets will hand that backup job to Mike White. And, um, you know, winning will become more important, more of a priority for the Jets next year. But by then, you would assume that Wilson has more matured and has improved. Uh, But so I think it'll be a Wilson-White tandem next year. I do not see Jimmy G in the Jets' future. At Bernie on the Jets... The number of injuries this year has been staggering. I recall when Parcells took over, he made conditioning a priority because it wasn't great under Kotite. Do you think that's an issue now, given the ridiculously high number of injuries, or is it just bad luck? 
Well, it's really, really hard to say. I do remember that when Parcells took over in the team meeting, the players told us he walked out with a stack of injury reports in a binder, dropped it on his podium and said, this stuff is going to change. It was basically as thick as a phone book. And he installed an off-season program. Back then, teams didn't have off-season programs. It's not like it was now. And, and Parcells made it basically voluntarily mandatory to show up. And, you know, I, the Jets do have a lot of injuries. I started crunching some numbers the other day to see how it compared to, you know, last year. I don't think they have as many soft tissue injuries, you know, your hamstring pulls, your groin pulls, and sh- and they shouldn't. They hired a sports performance department in the offseason. Uh, a lot of so-called experts, PhDs, who are handling their conditioning. So you would expect a drop in the number of injuries. I think it's a story to watch because uh, when the season's over, we'll have more data and we'll be able to go through it. I do know that Jets are, I think, the third in the league in terms of most guys on IR this year. So it's something to definitely watch for as we move forward. The next one, at QJR Buckets, does Denzel Mims still have potential? He does. He's got physical potential. He's 6'3". He runs a 4'4". You don't find a lot of guys like that. He's got physical potential, but there's more to being a success in the NFL than having physical potential. He has some maturing to do. I know this has been a tough year for him. He's had COVID. He had the food poisoning in the offseason. He had a hip injury in training camp. He's had a tough year, but clearly he has to raise his maturity level. His accountability has to be better to uh, basically brain locks on, on Sunday. You know, two mental mistakes that result in penalties. Can't have that. It happened at a crucial time in the game. So I'm curious to see if Denzel Mims is able to do some growing. And we have a Mims follow-up question here from at Jet Mets XYZ. What's the purpose of benching Mims in the second half for practice squad players when we have five games to determine his skill level? This is in high school detention class. Well, Jet, uh, you're right. It's not high school class. But Robert Sala is trying to create a standard. And I'm all for benching Denzel Mims in that situation. You cannot tolerate mental mistakes of that magnitude. You have to send a message to the player and the rest of the team that there has to be accountability, that there will be accountability. I don't care about determining skill level. You have to determine mental level as well. And clearly Mims was not mentally clued into the game. He had the illegal formation penalty which was just really a mental mistake. So I was okay with that benching. We have a lot of Jeff Ulbrich questions, so I'm going to group it into one. A lot of fans wanting to know, will Jeff Ulbrich get fired after the year? Look, you know, the numbers are not pretty. The Jets are giving up 30.5 points a game. That is the seventh worst in the NFL over the last 20 years. I mean, think about how many teams we're talking about there, and the Jets are the seventh worst. So that's not good. When units perform that badly in the NFL, I'm not talking about the Jets or Robert Sala specifically because he has no track record with this, but in the NFL, there usually is a scapegoat. Usually a coordinator cannot survive a year that bad. I think Sala is patient and loyal. I wonder, that'll be a very, very interesting decision. I wonder if upper management tries to force him to do something, if ownership wants him to do something there. That'll be an interesting question. I actually thought their defense wasn't awful on Sunday against New Orleans. 
uh, it looked bad at the end with that 44-yard touchdown run. I thought the Saints did a, a really good job. They motioned Kamara into a three-man bunch, and on the quarterback side of the field, they created a seven-on-seven situation, and the Jets just didn't have the right seven guys there because Mosley followed Kamara out in motion. The Jets had five defensive linemen in the game and only two DBs, and the Saints had their big people block on the second level on the two DBs, and Hill just took it to the house. I mean, he just took it to the house. It was a very embarrassing moment for the Jets. I don't, they don't think they played it well. I don't think they had the right personnel on the field. It was just all around ugly. But overall, I don't think their defense was was god-awful in the game, but it has been pretty awful this year. Next question, at FBI, Burt Macklin, or just Macklin, actually. Uh, do you expect the Jets to be big players in free agency? It's, if so, which players could they make a run on? And he mentions Brandon Scherf and Jalen Brown. Look, we know Joe Douglas is pretty methodical in free agency. He'll cherry pick one or two high-priced guys. He'll find guys who are entering their second contract. He won't pay for a guy who's in his late 20s or early 30s. But you saw last year with Lawson and Corey Davis, he'll pay if the guy's 25 or 26. Not a great free agent class, though. Uh, A couple of names that jumped out at me, Jesse Bates and Marcus Williams at safety, Michael Gallup at receivers. Those are guys finishing up their first contracts. The Jets don't have a lot of cap room, FBI. They only have about $49 million in cap room. They can make a couple of small cuts, nothing really major. So they're going to be playing probably with about $50 million or so, which is not a lot. So they will have to be somewhat uh, budget conscious as they go into the free agency period. And our last question, more of a personal question from at Brendan 00190904. Rich, how did you end up writing for the Jets? Was it covering the NFL always the goal? Actually, Brendan, when I was a young reporter at Newsday way back when, I thought college basketball would be my path. I did a lot of college hoop, including St. John's. They just had an opening on the football beat. They asked me, do you want to cover the Jets? I said, sure. How could you turn down a major beat You know, at a major newspaper in New York? So uh, that's how I got involved with the Jets. 33 years later, still doing the Jets. Don't know how long it's going to last. You never know. But I still enjoy doing it. And that's how I ended up doing the NFL and the Jets. I always thought I was destined to cover college hoops. And we're going to wrap up this week's episode of Flight Deck. A little talk about Miami. The Jets go to South Florida this weekend to face the Dolphins. The Jets have not won a game in South Florida since 2014, the final game of the year. Now, they did win a quote-unquote road game against Miami in 2015, but that game was in London. Haven't physically won a football game in Miami since 14, and that was a weird day for many reasons. Geno Smith, a perfect passer rating, 158.3. That's weird. Eric Decker, 221 receiving yards. And the bigger story that day was, you know, it was the final game for Rex Ryan and John Itzik. They were fired the next morning, ending an era, an error for the Jets. For me personally, I'll remember for what happened before the game. I'm rushing to the stadium from my hotel, and for some reason, Call it a mental error. I pulled a Denzel Mims. I actually missed my exit on the Florida Turnpike and was heading south towards Homestead, 
trying to get to the game early. I sensed that traffic was starting to build, so I didn't want to waste any time. So I made an illegal U-turn on the turnpike and crashed my rental car into a curb that popped my right front tire. I didn't realize the extent of the damage until I started driving north on the turnpike to the stadium. I was about a mile from the stadium, and all of a sudden I looked to the left and saw well, actually, I looked to the right and saw my tire just like rolling alongside me. So the rubber came off. I was riding on the rim. I had to pull over. The rental car company said it would be three hours before they could get someone to help me. That wasn't going to work. Luckily, one of my ESPN colleagues who was already in the stadium came out and helped me out, drove me to the stadium, and I left the car roadside, alerting the company that it would be there. And as as luck would have it, I think it stayed on the road for about another week before it was finally impounded and sent somewhere in Miami. By then, it was no longer my concern, really, but I had to make a lot of phone calls. And long story short, that's what I remember that game for, along with a few other things. But was my my uh, my little faux pas driving to the stadium. Luckily, no one was hurt. Just a bent rim and a shredded tire. Hopefully there'll be no incidents this time when I'm driving to the stadium, and we'll see what the Jets do. It's going to be a tough one. I think the Dolphins will win this game. They're playing much better than they were early in the year. I want to thank our guest this week, Ken O'Brien. I really appreciate him joining Flight Deck. Kenny's a great guy. And also, thanks to Jeff Scopin for putting it together. We'll talk to you next week on Flight Deck.